In the year 2017, listeners on Earth discovered a husband and wife podcast team who loved playing Mass Effect and were incredibly sappy. They called it the greatest podcast in human history. The listeners of the galaxy call it Mass Affection. Jamie. Hello, Chris. Dear listeners, we didn't do that thing where we recorded one episode and then vanished this time. We're actually here. We're actually recording. We're actually going to post this. I promise. I promise. It's exciting. So we're here to talk about some exciting characters and locations. But you forgot something. You always forget the thing. Oh, saying how you can find us Mm -hmm. and such. How about you do that this time? Oh, put me on the spot. Well, you can find us on Twitter at Mass underscore Affection. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash MassAffection. Or you can just go to MassAffection.com to see show notes for this episode and all the earlier episodes, as well as links to all the things and places for us. Wouldn't that be exciting? Whose accent was that supposed to be? No one's. Just weird. Okay. (laughs) That's cool. I I can roll with weird. As you were saying, we're here to talk about characters and emissions and adventures and things yes morden garris and omega oh my not all of omega i see what you did there Hmm. just the first little bits of omega but these are all character things which means jamie is so happy yes also we have a chick-fil-a cookies and cream milkshake i know that's what's making me the most happy. happy jamie could in fact not be happier So, I figure we'll just jump in and kind of work through what we played through. There are essentially four different segments here to talk about, maybe even five, but we'll move through them fairly quickly. The first one is talking to all of our crew after we get on to the... The new Normandy. Normandy 2. Normandy 2. Normandy Dos. The Normandy SR Dos. (laughs) Duh. What? What is it in German? Duh. There Dude, we go. There you Dude. go. That's, that's much. I don't know what is Duh. <laughs> that's about right, right? Normandy, duh. The Normandy SR, duh. <laughs> Done. So I just want to point out that Kelly, our new psychology expert slash assistant terminal person, says she has Shepherd, a- Shepard, you have a new message at your private terminal. Yes, she says she has a Shepherd, psych- you have a new message Stop at your private terminal. Well, that's what she does every time you walk by. She says she has a psych degree, and Tim, the elusive man, picked her because of that? Yep, she has a psych degree. And most people with psych degrees are apparently well-studied <laughs> enough to say, this guy's a sociopath and a psychopath. Maybe I should not work for him. Kelly, not so much. Kelly thinks, oh, I just love everybody. Maybe that's everybody. why she's the only psychology major that wouldn't work with yeah. Tim, that would work with Tim. Yeah. So that's why Everyone she else picked. can see him coming a million miles away and say, nope, don't want to work for a psycho- psychopathic sociopath. Okay, thanks, bye. So that was my one and only Kelly observation Thomas. on all of the Normandy. Not really. <laughs> that's totally not true. We did carefully avoid flirting with her. There's this absurd, absurd line, you're very loving, that you can <laughs> offer as a response option. We just can I just no. point out that it is hard not to flirt with the characters in this first section 
It's hard not to flirt with Jacob. Mm-hmm. It's just, you unintentionally fall into it. A friend of mine actually had the problem where he ended up romancing Liara in the first game because he just was talking to her and was friendly to her. And then the next thing he knew, Liara sex scene, and he was very bothered. And then his wife walked in and was like, what is happening here? And he said, I didn't mean to, truly. And he meant it. Oh, dear. But yes, it is hard not to flirt with characters in Bioware games in general. Well, I feel like it's a particularly egregious in this section. Yeah, especially the Jacob bit. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. What else do we want to talk about in terms of people we meet on the Normandy? Well, Jamie, what do the notes say? The notes say, <laughs> hello, I was trying to make it sound natural. <laughs> and I am trolling you. I do that thing. He's a troll. A little bit. Not as much as I could be. It's true. But I also like you. I like you too. We're snuggling, dear listeners. <laughs> um. So Edie. Yeah. Edie's scary when she turns red. I have a block. I have a block. What does that mean? Certain parts of my functionality are restricted. That's not a very good Edie impression. Obviously. You do an Edie impression. I have a block that prevents me from answering that question. I don't think that's a very good Edie impression Oh, come impression on. Either. That was not bad. <laughs> So when you're talking to Edie, I remember, and I remember we talked about this as we played through this before as well, it seems set up, and it's a head fake. It it makes you think she's going to end up being bad. <laughs> I certainly thought she was going to end up being bad. Right. But instead, it's just that Cerberus is bad and doesn't want Edie to actually be free to help you. Those jerks, they basically just enslaved her. If you actually read the undercurrents here, Cerberus did exactly what everybody always does in this universe to AIs. They enslaved her. She actually talks about it along the lines of a shackle. Oh, that's true. So the the short version is organics are bad. They're always enslaving the robot types, the AIs. That's the ending, the positive Paragon ending in Mass Effect 3. But we'll get to that later. Don't remind me. I was enjoying this episode up till now. <laughs> there are some really interesting, weird bits of things. Like the revelation that the elusive man, as far as Edie knows, has invested, and this is a quote, most of Cerberus's resources into the design and construction of this ship. We will leave aside things that come up in Mass Effect 3 about how he has also managed to build and fund an entire private army, but, <laughs> you know... Basically, the way Mass Effect 2 sets this up is most of Cerberus's resources went into building the Normandy and rebuilding Shepard. They must have really liked Shepard. Yeah, it's kind of irrational if you ask me. <laughs> it's an obsession. Apparently. Everyone has them, even Tim. I also noted that there is a ton of talking to do on the Normandy. Mm -hmm. You can spend hours and hours of your time in this game just keeping up on all the conversations there are to be had on the Normandy, especially because you end up with a crew of 12, not just the six that you had in the first game. Oh, and the guy who is in the mess hall, hall, it's not really a hall, has the same voice or is the same voice actor, we think, as Udina. Mm -hmm. You can so, tell. So listen, listen closely for that and you'll, you'll see. As Jamie noted, speaking of people we talked to, Jacob, we tried really hard not to flirt with him. I explicitly told Jamie, as we were going through the conversation wheel, try not to flirt. So I think I went renegade because of that. A little bit. 
I noted that he keeps saluting us, even though he resigned from the Alliance. So I don't know why he's actually saluting us. He didn't like the Alliance. He didn't like having all the bureaucracy and chain of command. But here he is acting all chain of commandy. I don't know. Of course, when I say chain of command, I can't help but think of Jane and his description of the chain of command being the chain he gets and beats you with if you don't do what he says. <laughs> I hope you caught that Firefly reference, listeners. I'll have a link. I'm sure there's a YouTube somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Jacob also tells us that he's not a fan of Cerberus, but he's perfectly happy to be here working for them. Jacob doesn't make any sense to me. So many things about Jacob's character don't make any sense to me. Yeah, Jacob's physique doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Can you elaborate? He just, he's oddly proportioned. Maybe people can actually look like that, but I haven't seen too many of them. <laughs> yeah, he's weirdly narrow-waisted. That's, and... that's the, it's the narrow waist. It's the really, really, really narrow waist. Yeah, it's strange. But I guess it's possible. Anyway, it just bothers me every time. <laughs> it bothers me every time, too. It always has. Then you can walk around the Normandy and you can hear some of the crew talking. Some of it is normal-ish background chatter. Some of it is a little bit on the nose. Oh, Try a lot on the nose. You have a daughter who's stationed in New, who's New living Canton. in New Canton. And yeah, the we're hero going... of Canton, the man <laughs> they call Jane. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's how it's going to be. Hey, at least it's Firefly this time instead of Hamilton. Hey, hey, what's that supposed to mean? Firefly is way Where's better than Hamilton. Where's my ham fam at? Firefly is way better than Hamilton. <laughs> so yes, and of course, those crew people will end up abducted later, which is supposed to amp up the drama. Is that what happens? Yeah. Okay, that's sad. But then we talk to Miranda, and she doesn't think Cerberus is, quote, as evil as most people believe. I will not try to do an Australian I'm not going to try right now either. We obviously disagree with her a bit. And Shepard asks Miranda... Who keeps Cerberus in check? I can't do the accent. <laughs> but you no. have to try. No, you have to try. No, I can't. <laughs> the answer is... Is nobody. Nobody. And this is actually interesting to me. In the first game, the conceit was that they were a government black ops organization that went rogue. And that has obviously been retconned pretty hard here. Mm -hmm. But the idea was that they did have oversight and they slipped their oversight. Now here it's... He's been around for way long time and has all this funding, and they just have no oversight. Alarm bells should be ringing in your head. Massive paramilitary organization with no oversight that everyone just trusts that the elusive man will do, quote, the right thing, unquote. Where's my nope gong? Because I need one for this game. A nope gong? Yep. Just every time that it deserves a great big nope, you just ring the gong. I need one of those for this game. <laughs> okay. Didn't know that was a thing. Uh, I just made it up, so oh, it's okay. a thing now. <laughs> okay. Miranda also thinks that I just want to know about you is a resume request, and she tells you all about herself. Well, I guess that, that makes sense in context. Like, kind she's of. not trying to be personal and friendly, although she is fairly friendly, all things mm -hmm. considered. Um, it's a, a weird line, straddling a weird line between being super friendly and being... Professional. Being professional, yeah. The the weird thing is she gets called an ice queen by the guy we kill in the mm – -hmm. or she kills in the beginning. And she really doesn't bear that out. Her characterization is never that of an ice yeah. queen. She's mm -hmm. never standoffish. She's never cold. She's occasionally businesslike, but never more than that. She defends Cerberus, but that's basically it. Mm -hmm. But, of course, 
My very favorite, and by that I mean my least favorite thing, is when she's describing how she has been engineered for perfection. Even my looks, she says, and the camera literally pans up her body. The male gaze in this game is really, really dumb and really, really annoying. And SMH. It is particularly dumb in that Miranda is like what a 14-year-old boy's idea of an attractive woman looks like. Stuffed into a 14-year-old boy's idea of what an attractive woman should dress like. The, la- the latter being the, the most uh, egregious. It, it really is. It's just absurd. But we get a little bit of her backstory and we get hints dropped there that will lead into her loyalty mission after we play through the next story mission. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the first set of things we did on the Normandy. And then we went to Omega. You don't want to talk about Chakwas? Oh, right. Yes. I I, I mean, based on your notes, it sounds like you really want to talk about why is Chakwas here? Why is Chakwas here? (laughs) That's how I feel about Chakwas being here. So the Alliance stationed her groundside. Just like it grounded Joker. My notes here say, why? So instead of requesting a transfer, she quit. My notes here also say, why? And then she says, when we ask why she's here working for Cerberus, she says, I don't work for Cerberus. I work for you. To which my notes say, you joined before I was alive again. What do you mean? Well, they probably told her that they were trying to revive Shepard. This top secret project that was most likely doomed to failure. But it wasn't because money. Oh, right. I forgot. Yes. And and the end of this conversation is she tells you that she's sad that she lost some serious ice brandy. And now brandy is good, so I can understand being a little sad about that. But it's expensive, so she doesn't want you to worry about it. To which my notes say, don't worry, I steal tons of money. We're rich. Don't worry, I have plenty of money for brandy. <laughs> because Shepard, seriously, as we'll talk about as we start talking about Omega, is a terrible, horrible thief of all the things. Yeah, I love the part where, well, we'll talk about that. We'll get there. So then we went to Omega. All right, Omega. I thought Omega was cool looking. Chris thought it looked like a giant mushroom. Maybe it's a cool looking giant mushroom? I like the atmosphere of Omega. Not that I would want to go there. (laughs) Because as Miranda, well, I won't say her quote. But it isn't the nicest place ever. But it's just really interesting. It has a lot of personality. It does at that. They have a pretty sick beat going in (laughs) Afterlife. (laughs) Pretty sick beat, huh? Yep. Okay. Are you going to sing a Taylor Swift song now? No. Is that Taylor Swift's line? There's this sick beat in Shake It Off. Oh, my gosh. Why did you have to bring that up? I'm sorry, listeners. Maybe I'll just drop a little bit of the shake it off in right there in the edit. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you don't think that would totally appeal to our Mass Effect fan base listenership? Yeah, no. But anyway, we are greeted by a Batarian, and he was not very nice, but he points out, can you do a Batarian voice? No. Things explode around you, Shepard. It's got a point. He really things, has a point. Things do explode around you. And then we run to Zaid, who I, I just... I just hate Zaid. I'm sorry if you like him, listeners. He just makes everything so irreverent. And maybe that's the point. But when we take him through Omega, through the um, the quarantine zone, 
everything just seemed a lot worse when he said it. His <laughs> comments just seemed so much worse than coming out of someone else's mouth. He's a grumpy old man who's had some pretty terrible things happen to him. <clears throat> I don't remember what they are, of course. So I have no pity for him right now. We'll get there. He's mostly here for the credits. Mostly. We'll get there. We walk into Afterlife. We get threatened, but as far as I can tell, the only reason we get threatened is so that you can learn how the persuasion and intimidation game mechanic works. That's an important thing to do. <laughs> it's true, but it was still, it was kind of weird encounter there. Some people just stand up and try it to is, threaten it you. It is very random. And there's no reason for it, and it doesn't do anything with it. It would make a lot more sense to have it play out in an actual game context. I think they just wanted you to do it in a context where there were no stakes, essentially. But mm -hmm. it was still weird. And then we talked to Omar. Oh, Omaria. Omaria. And then we talked to Aria, which, you know, that's about right, Omaria. That's how she thinks of it. You, you yeah. run Omega? <laughs> I am Omega. Now, that was actually a pretty good Aria. Hey, thanks. So you can sound like what's her name? Who played Aria? Who plays Trinity? Yeah. I can't remember. I don't name. remember her name either. We noted that it was kind of weird that she's super happy to help us. She just sits down and answers all of our questions. She tells us that she doesn't generally give out information so freely, but here she is with you. But this is a specter back from the dead, so why the heck not? Exactly. In any case, she tells us how to find Morden and Archangel. So we go to Morden, and as we go looking through, we have some really great encounters along the way. Like the Batarian we meet right as we walk in, who tells us, lies drop from your mouth like the blood from my sores. That is disgusting. That it's, is the grossest simile I've ever heard. <laughs> it, it really is. Also, it's just a little bit over the top. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. So we kept trying to do the Paragon interrupt here, but my brain could not connect that Paragon is on the left side of the... It's the left trigger, it not the, the right trigger. trigger. Yes. And so I kept mashing on the right trigger, and I was going, is something wrong with my controller? Guys, no, it fires. We replayed this three times. We literally replayed this three times to get the left trigger finally pushed. I'm a little slow. I'm not sure why, but that has actually always bothered me. From the very first time I played Mass Effect 2, the interrupts have seemed backwards to me. It's because it, you're right-handed. I don't think so. I think it's actually because the Paragon is clockwise around the wheel, the mm, conversation wheel. That makes sense. From the Renegade response. Mm -hmm. And so it just feels like it should be to the right and to the left on. That the, makes sense. I, that's all I can come up with. In any sure. case, I have always felt that way. So we did finally save him. <laughs> and then we went and hacked our way into a vault, and we stole credits by connecting, by, by matching certain quote-unquote code blocks. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this is where Jamie got one of the worst ideas she's ever put in any sci-fi hey, story. She's be nice. Live, live coding on a spaceship is a thing in my head. <laughs> because of this, I'm pretty sure. Any software programmers out there... Don't laugh at me. Actually, you can, you can your way laugh around uh, an environmental system failure or something like that, as I recall. Now, the reason that stands out in my head is because Jamie's actually a really good writer who has really good ideas and executes right. them really well. So when I got to that one, as a programmer myself, 
I couldn't help snorting. But at least now I know where she got it from. But speaking of executions, a great quote going on here whenever uh, we talked to the battalion that we helped. He says, doctors don't execute people and display the bodies as a warning. And this doctor does, because Morden is different. Really interesting setup for Mm -hmm. Morden. As we go through this, just like as we were waking up and working our way out, there are more voice logs. Everybody apparently vlogs now, but instead of video log, that means voice log. Some of them are pretty sad. One of them is a very unself-aware Turian who is hacking up a lung or two lungs or however many lungs the Turians have. (laughs) That's a good question. While insisting that he doesn't have the plague. (laughs) Oh, gross. (laughs) There's also a really—go ahead. No, I was going to say the same thing you were going to say, which is that there was a, a vlog of a guy who basically was starved to death for getting because of fear of the plague he got locked into his room and that was pretty brutal also the burning bodies in the streets oh that was pretty brutal as well like pretty graphic this game ups the ante on graphicness a lot there's a lot more blood in the headshots and things like that like exploding melons that's (laughs) what it reminds me of every time thanks you're welcome uh we go into various apartments and poke around because we're Shepherd and that's what we do. And there was one exchange between apparently a couple and the guy in the couple is a jerk and he tells the gal in the couple to grow up. And she has a pretty hilarious face afterwards. Frowny face. It was a great frowny face. And we took their money. <laughs> yeah, we literally took the money from right there beside them. And then we walk into another one where people are looting. Stealing from the dead? That's pretty low. This is Shepard's line. Seriously, Shepard? Seriously? Shepard who pokes through every box and safe and warehouse anywhere, who is a classic Bioware character who steals literally everything she can find anywhere, <laughs> has the audacity to critique other people about looting from the dead? Now, while I'm thinking about it, I feel like everyone has roughly the same information about the plague. I feel like it's very repetitive, more repetitive than any other level, pretty it much. is. I think they overdid it on the assumption that you would not yet be used to the mechanics. And so they want to make sure you get this information, mm. but literally everybody has the same information, just in small variants. I found it very boring to yeah, talk to everyone in this section. And that's not normally quite as much the case Mm-mm, elsewhere. It certainly it's is very different from how it tended to be in the first game, where you would get different pieces of information to fit a whole picture together. Right, right. Part of it here, though, is they also have you doing the mechanic of having to hack your way into some of these apartments. And so it's quite possible that as a player, you'd fail some of those the first time, especially if you weren't very skilled. Mm -hmm. And that would leave you in a spot where you would just miss some of these because you couldn't get into this locked apartment. That makes sense. Even so, it's still really boring if you're actually a successful player. Then you... (laughs) I forgot about this. Looking at our notes again, one of those guys walks out and he says, don't worry, we ain't going to steal nothing. And I said... Jamie said... That means you are going to steal something. Shepard likes good grammar. <laughs> so then we go meet Morden, and he tells us, you need to go kill some Vorcha and inject the cure into the airflow system. Uh, okay. So he's told us that this is really important. They've shut down the environmental systems. So what do we do? We talk. Of course we talk. We like to talk. 
I really love one of these Morden lines. He says, Turian, Krogan, Forcha, all obvious threats. Never see me coming. And it's hey, that was a good one. Best. Morden is probably my favorite non-Liara character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Gotta make a separate category for those non-Liara characters. Well, you know, I like nerdy women. What can I say? <laughs> but Morden is certainly my favorite Mass Effect 2 character, and he may be my actually favorite character from the entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. He's just so good, so well written, and in this game, so very well voice acted. So we go through and we fight and we kill a bunch of Vorcha and a handful of Krogans, and it's all very exciting, by which I mean it's actually, like a lot of the combat, fine, kind of repetitive, not all that super interesting. It can be pretty tough on harder difficulty mm-hmm. levels, but we do it, and then happily it doesn't make us walk back. Yes, thankfully. And then we talk to Morden some more. And Talking about the STG, and he yep. has a funny quote. You want to try to take a stab at his accent again? Better funded, of course. Didn't have to buy our own weapons. <laughs> I like that uh, self-awareness. Yeah, on the writer's part. On the writer's part, yeah. Yeah, because the first game has you... So he's comparing the STG, the Solarian Special Tasks Group, to the Spectres, who are modeled on the STG. And this is actually consistent with the backstory from the first game. But... He drops that line pointing out the fact that it's kind of absurd that in the first game, if you want actually decent weapons, you have to steal them off of dead people's bodies or buy them yourself with your own credits that you got by stealing them off of dead people's bodies. It's kind of an absurd system, and I like that they poked fun at it in that self-aware way. Mm -hmm. He also notes to his assistant as well as to you that he's not a usual sort of doctor there are and i quote lots of ways to help people sometimes you do it by making people healthier sometimes you do it by killing threats he's a very interesting doctor so that was it except that he did mention kirahi hold that line (laughs) it was good then we talked a bit more with chakwas and She informs us that she mostly stayed for Joker's sake and that he needs her dedicated help. Again, things in Mass Effect 3 kind of put the lie to this. Keeping a through line on character motivations, maybe not the strong suit for some of these tertiary characters. That's all I'll say about that. But hey, we had a fun scene where they drank the Saris Ice Brandy. So that's cool. (laughs) And then walked around a bit tipsy after. Yeah, I I like the toasts, the different toasts you can make. Yeah. I enjoyed that. We ended up toasting Joker this time around. Just because I wanted to see what it said. Here we learn that the person whose wife and daughter were on New Canton, the hero of Canton. (laughs) Man they call random crew member. (laughs) He's sending his family back to Earth. That's the plan. And Cerberus takes good care of their people. So yay. And then we go to get Archangel. And interestingly, there was not a lot of plot or characterization in this sequence. It was really just fight your way there, mm-hmm. maybe doing some sabotage along the way, and then discover that it's Garrus, woo, and then fight a bunch more people and see Garrus get shot and his face all shot up and him almost die and then make a really nasty gurgling sound when you try to take him out. And that's about it, actually. There wow, you really summarized that quickly. I feel like there should be way more to talk about in that section than you just said. But there just really isn't, and that's the thing. It's just, you know, you talk to the pack leaders, and 
they're all grumpy at him for various reasons. You you do get some backstory on how much of a badass he was, I guess. There is that. And how about the moment when we killed the Batarian? He was fixing the gunship. That was pretty brutal, too. Tell me all about it. Well, we killed a Batarian who was fixing the gunship. <laughs> and it was we zapped brutal. him in the back. It was very renegade. Mm-hmm. It was one of the more renegade, renegade options, I feel like. But, I mean, taking out the gunship is kind of important. It is one of those things, though, that the game puts you in this spot where you have only the option to just totally leave him alone or to murder him to death in an extremely painful way. Murdering him to death? Are you sure you didn't halfway murder him? No, I mean murdering him to death in the most painful way you can imagine at hand. You could have, you know, just put him in a chokehold and left him unconscious or something, dragged his body out of sight. It would have taken approximately the same amount of time, involved a great deal less screaming, and been the kind of thing that a neutral-ish or even a paragon renegade might have done. He already told you he doesn't do any of the fighting. He really just is there to work on the gunship and stuff like that. And other than the fact that he smokes an absurd amount, almost (laughs) as much as Tim. Yeah. Well, he doesn't really deserve being executed. But it's that or leave yourself at a severe tactical disadvantage when you know that you're going to be massively overwhelmed. Right. I felt really torn about that decision because you asked me a few seconds before, what do you want to do when the time comes? And I made a a split second decision and felt really bad about it afterward. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I wish they had given you more reasonable options here. Totally leave the dude to do his job or bribe him or... Go to him in a chokehold or just have Zaid punch him in the face until he's unconscious. I'm sure Zaid would love it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and a lot of the things like that are like this in this game. They're just not subtle. And, well, it's a video game. Maybe I shouldn't expect subtle. But, yeah. But I would like it if it's they were a little opera. more subtle. Wait, does this count as a space opera? Yeah, I think so. Okay. We do find out that Garrus is basically a total badass. He shut down the gunship by himself already once, requiring the repairs that this poor Batarian was in the middle of when we executed him nastily. Of course, we don't know it's Garrus at the moment, at least the first time you play through this game. No. Then we meet Garrus, and we we do discover that there's a bit of a regression here, which has always bugged me a bit. You go through his plot from the first game, and I wish they had just written some different lines here, because just a few different lines if you had done his side plot in the first game, would have made an enormous difference. But in the first game, you show him, and he really comes around and comes to believe you about this, that no, we should seek justice. We shouldn't just go after revenge. We shouldn't just always ignore any bureaucracy or red tape. We should play by the rule book. And you have a running argument about this, and you eventually talk him around. And then you show up here, and he's gotten frustrated by the red tape and goes off on his own. Now, what he does when he goes off on his own is pretty cool he's basically batman mm-hmm. with a gun with a sniper rifle mm-hmm. if batman used a sniper rifle it would and be, was turian and was turian he's turian batman though turian batman yeah but i just it made me a little sad that they just kind of threw away the actual side character work they did with him in the first game in that regard mm-hmm. and you basically have to do the same character work with him again in this game yeah and that's dumb they should have you could have painted pretty easily with just a few different lines of dialogue here that he had regressed not because of red tape, but rather he had said, okay, I've been out on my own. 
I want to see if I can lead a team and do like Shepard did. Shepard mm-hmm. isn't here, but maybe I can do the same kind of thing. And then had his hopes crushed by what happened to him. And he does have some legitimately sad and deeply discouraging things happen to him. His team being betrayed and everybody else being killed around him. It wouldn't have taken a lot to make his story connect and actually be a lot more compelling in that regard, rather than just, oh, I got sick of red tape again, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's my impression of the writing there. Mm-hmm. Just a few lines of dialogue would have done it and made for so much thicker a characterization and more of that through line between the games. Interesting. So Garrus calls out Cerberus being sickos. So that's good. But then promptly signs up to ride on the ship because Shepard's there. So, you know, good enough. Well, everyone loves Shepard. <laughs> Especially Garrus. Especially Garrus. As we referenced, you do get a little of his backstory there. And we'll pick that up in a later sequence when we do his loyalty mission. Indeed we shall. And I do like that loyalty mission. I do like his character arc in this game. I just think they could have made it much stronger without that much work. Well, you're the king of finding plot holes and it's not just inconsistencies. Plot holes. No, I mean, yeah, I am the king of that. But I still, I can just see it's really obvious how they could have executed on it really, really well. They would have taken the same basic story they wanted to tell here and added more gravitas to it, added more interest to the character with it. And I just wish they had. I was just happy to see Garrus again. Uh-huh. It was pretty great to see Garrus. Is Garrus a person, Jamie? Aliens are not people. Is Garrus <laughs> a person, Jamie? Garrus is a person. <laughs> but in general, aliens are not people. I still don't understand your reasoning about this. There is no reason. <laughs> is Liara a person, Jamie? No. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty brutal. Because if she were a person, I'd have too much competition. You would not have any competition. (laughs) You're my favorite. Nobody's as awesome as you. That's right. Keep it coming. Remember, even Clara isn't competition for you. Oh, wow. Now we're dropping Doctor Who references, too. That's right. I do like my short, attractive brunettes and also my nerdy characters. And your blue tentacle-headed aliens. I mean, if you dressed up as Liara, that would be kind of weird. That would be weird. But it would be interesting. So if you ever want to cosplay... (laughs) Okay. Anyway, sorry about, sorry about that aside. <laughs> I'm not sorry. We are really, really random. I'm going to call it the sugar that is causing this, the sugar from the milkshake. That's what people listen for. We should always have milkshakes or wine or something, you know, fun things. Hey, that sounds good to me. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next time with another recruitment mission and probably the next story mission. Peace. Did- Did you just really say peace? Yep, I sure did. But this is Mass Effect. It's all about... War? War, not peace. Oh, wow. Okay, on that note, (laughs) goodbye. Bye, everybody. You faithful, loyal listeners, you.